excited about this sermon and for you to take a listen to it because I really sensed in the writing of it and in the delivering of it that this is for us and for now as we engage in the forced isolation and the imposed wilderness of COVID-19. If you are not part of the Regen family and listening in, I'm glad you get to because this is a great taste of who we are and who God is forming us to be in this season. So I'm excited for you to take a listen. Grace and peace. God, thank you for the opportunity to even just read some of those comments as they came in of the way that you have provided financially, how you have been a support in anxiety, how you have been a comfort in isolation. Lord Jesus, we're just so thankful that you are so present to us and pray that in the days ahead, we would be trusting you more and more and that we would be encountering you in deeper ways. Someone said, I'm hearing from scripture in ways I haven't before. Would we have more of that, more deep encounter with you, even in this wilderness and isolation? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. If you got your Bible at home and want to grab that, Luke chapter 4. And, uh, you know, while we were singing, uh, Art grabbed me and said, um, I'm pretty sure, what'd you say, 6 to 10? 6 to 10 people heard directly from God. Uh, and maybe even were healed of something. And I was wondering if, if you would be so bold as when the service is over to send us a message on the Facebook page, if that's you, so we could interact with you about that. Um, just want to keep hearing the ways that God is working even in this time. And that's really what we want to talk about today is how does God work in the wilderness? How does God work in the wilderness? Um, um, yeah, so um, Joey, we're just, we're just living real. Joey's adjusting the lighting. You can't see him. Joey, can you guys keep an eye on that since Steph's with Jack? Just make sure we don't break the stream. So, um, yeah, Luke chapter 4. Um, this is our, our, our third Sunday of live streaming. And the first since the governor ordered us uh, to shelter in place. And so much has changed in the world in just a manner of a few weeks And in these anxious times, we've spent the last two weeks in our live stream trying to offer support and comfort and encouragement. And I don't want to necessarily stop doing that today, but what I want us to do is maybe pivot our attention together this morning. Um, Because in times of crisis, we need two things. We, We need that encouragement. We need that support. But we also need vision. We also need a sense of what is happening to us, what lies beyond this, and what God could do with it. And here's what we need this morning is we need language and grammar to speak about what we're experiencing, not as something to endure or to survive, but something in which we can become the people that God is forming us to be. And we need language and grammar. We need language and grammar, and the good news is that the way of Jesus— The scriptures are rife, are overflowing with grammar and language for what we are experiencing. The discomfort, the isolation, the worry about what happens tomorrow. See, scripture talks about all of these experiences as the wilderness, the wilderness. In fact, the title of my sermon this morning is Welcome to the Wilderness. 
Because you and I have entered in these weeks and in these days an imposed wilderness. The wilderness has been imposed upon us. And this morning, I I have good news that you and I, belonging to God's people, have a rich history in the wilderness. This is not new territory for God's people. Uh, Not only do we have rich history, uh, but we have language and grammar and resources to encounter the presence of God in the midst of that wilderness. And so we're going to look at what happened in the life of Jesus when he entered the wilderness. And that story is told in Luke chapter 4. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and and this is uh, what verses 1 and 2 say. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust that the wind, if, I don't know if you guys can hear that on the live stream, but the wind is just blowing so loud. So Holy Spirit, may your wind be uh, even more forceful in our souls this morning, okay? Um, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. In Luke 4, Jesus, at some translations say, is driven by the Holy Spirit, not just sent, but driven into the Holy Spirit by the, into the wilderness. And as he leaves behind the noise and the bustle and the chaos of civilization, Jesus enters the long quiet of silence and solitude in the wilderness. And step by lonesome step, Jesus enters this wilderness, and as he does, as he enters this wilderness, he carries within himself all of his ancestors' wilderness wanderings. You see, Jesus isn't the first of God's people to enter the wilderness. Far from it, wilderness wandering. Wilderness wandering is in Jesus' bones. Long before Jesus, his ancestor Abraham wandered the wilderness to find his way to the promised land. Long before Jesus, Moses wandered in the wilderness as a shepherd after he murdered an Egyptian slave master. Long before Jesus, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Long before Jesus, long before Jesus David fled into the wilderness to escape Saul and then his son Absalom. Long before Jesus, Elijah fled into the wilderness to escape from Jezebel. Luke says that Jesus wanders in the wilderness for 40 days. These 40 days are a complement to and a fulfillment of the 40 years that the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness so many centuries before. And as Jesus walks the quiet and solitude of the wilderness, he discovers that he is not alone. As it was, and as it ever will be, the wilderness is a place of trial and temptation. The wilderness is a place of trial and temptation. Look at Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 3, and I'll I'll read through verse 11, or excuse me, verse uh, 13. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. 
Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, every time Satan tempts Jesus, he quotes scripture back to him. And fun fact, all of these quotations come from the book of Deuteronomy. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, see, Paul will later say that scripture, the word of God, is the sword of the spirit. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You see, for centuries, this past Luke chapter 4 has fascinated God's people. But no one, no one was more fascinated by this passage than the desert fathers and desert mothers. The desert fathers and mothers were early Christian hermits and monastics, monks, who left the cities of the Roman Empire, who left the Christian communities of the Roman Empire, because they felt that the church was becoming too worldly. They felt that the noise and distraction and lustfulness of Roman society was such that it so crowded God out of their lives that they needed to get away from the worldliness of the church, from the worldliness of the world. And so they fled into the desert. In AD 270, a man who would become known as Antony the Great withdrew to the, de- withdrew to the desert to encounter God, and to protest the worldliness of the church. St. Athanasius, who wrote a biography of Antony, said in 356, so, you know, less than 100 years after Antony entered the desert, he said in 356 that, uh, uh, that that, that the desert had become a city. That the desert had become a city. So many people were fleeing to the desert uh, to encounter God there. Excuse me, but as they encountered God there, they also found a place of trial and temptation. The The desert fathers were so obsessed with this passage because it so overlapped with their lived experience in the wilderness. They found the wilderness to be place, a place, yes, of encounter, and we'll get there in a minute, but they also found it to be a place of trial and temptation. As Jesus does battle with Satan in Luke 4, they saw a meta-narrative, a story behind every story. They saw the temptation offered to every man and every woman across all time. They saw those temptations that are common to all of us being offered to Jesus. They saw Satan tipping his hand. They saw a way to see the temptations of the enemy coming. Because, see, Jesus' first temptation, that first temptation is to turn stones into bread. In that moment, Satan puts his finger almost on a pressure point, and the pressure point is that of appetite. It's like Satan is saying, why don't you rely on yourself to meet the needs that are so obvious to you? I don't know if that's relevant in your week. Why don't you rely on yourself to meet the needs that are so obvious to you? Appetite. Jesus' second temptation is to inherit all the kingdoms of the world offered in exchange for Jesus' loyalty to be given to Satan. See, Satan is putting his finger on the pressure point of ambition. It's like Satan is saying, you can finally have everything you've ever wanted. You can have your destiny in your own hands. Appetite and ambition. 
The third temptation is, is interesting. It, it, it's Jesus on the top of the highest point in the temple in Jerusalem being tempted to throw himself off so that angels will catch him and lower him gently to the ground. And imagine if you saw that. Imagine if you saw someone fling themselves from the highest building and float gently down. We would imagine them as having some sort of godlike power. See, Satan is putting his finger on the third temptation, which is approval. As if he's saying, imagine what people will say when they see you carried gently to the ground by the heavenly host. See, these three temptations, these three pressure points, appetite, ambition, and approval, have plagued the human condition since we left the garden. Adam and Eve fall into sin because they believe lies about sating their appetites, about achieving their ambition, about earning approval. These temptations lie, appetite, ambition, and approval, lie at the root of most, if not all, sin. And friends, you and I are in the wilderness. You and I are in the wilderness, a place of trial and temptation. And if a servant is not above his master, if Jesus, who we have given our lives to, experience these temptations in the wilderness, so will we. What I am saying to you is in this imposed wilderness, the temptation to appetite, ambition, and approval will be even more present and even more in your face if in ways more subtle and surprising. See, in the days ahead, you may experience temptation in the area of appetite like never before. You will be tempted to overeat or undereat. You will be tempted to eat your feelings. You will be tempted to stress eat. I have found a craving for sugar like I have never experienced in my whole life in these days. It might not be food. That might not be the pressure point. It might be another kind of appetite, an appetite for escape manifested in endless escapist behaviors, binge-watching on Netflix, endless video game playing, and let's name it, it might be an appetite for sex. It might be endless pornography binging. Be on guard these days. Men, be on guard these days against a specific temptation uh, in the areas of pornography when you feel out of control and everybody is all around you all of the time. It's the quickest and easiest way to escape. You might be tempted in the days ahead in the area of appetite. You might be tempted in the days ahead of, toward ambition. Ambition. Some of you find this shelter-in-place quarantine business silly because it has hampered your ability to climb the corporate ladder. It has robbed you of your ability to achieve your goals. We're all working from home now, or at least many of us are, and when you raise your voice at your kids, when you snap at your wife, when you ignore your family to make one call or one more email, that is a temptation to ambition. Is the temptation to ambition stopping you from spending time with God because you wake up every morning and your first series of thought is not on God. Your first series of thought is a crashing wave of everything that has to get done that day. Appetite, ambition, approval. So you might experience temptation in the area of approval. Like never before, you, you love to serve 
in volunteer organizations. You love to serve in church because deep down what you love is how people think more highly of you when you do it. And now that has all been ripped away. Now you can't leave your home. Now you can't serve. Now you can't be the dependable one or the reliable one. And so now you feel this creep of isolation and anxiety. Maybe you find yourself seeking to post the funniest meme on social media. Maybe you find yourself seeking to post the most spiritual phrase or quote. When you text someone to pray for them, when you text someone to check in, are you doing it because you love them or are you doing it because you want their thanks and their gratitude? See, approval. The imposed wilderness of quarantine and social distance is a place of trial and temptation, especially in the areas of approval and appetite and ambition. The, the wilderness is a place of trial and temptation as it always was and always will be. And you and I are in an imposed wilderness. You and I are in an imposed wilderness And while the wilderness is, yes, a place of trial and temptation, it is also a place of encounter. The wilderness is a place of encounter. See, when Abraham wanders the wilderness in search of the promised land, he eventually finds it. And when he does, he builds an altar to the Lord. And altars mark the places where God's people encounter him. When Israel wanders in the desert, they meet God in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire, and he provides for them with manna and quail and water from the rock. When David flees into the wilderness, he finds him safe in a place of provision and preparation and prayer, as David writes psalm after psalm after psalm out there in the wilderness. And when Elijah flees, flees out into the wilderness, he encounters God through a powerful vision. He encounters God, not in the earthquake or in the fire or in the wind, but in the still small voice that you can only hear in the wilderness. Here's what I I want you to see this morning is, yes, there is isolation, and yes, there is temptation, and yes, there is trial, but the wilderness is our place of greatest formation. The wilderness is our place of greatest formation, and this wilderness of isolation, however long it may go, could be a place of our richest encounters with God. If you want, you can turn with me just for a minute to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, looking just at verses 1, 2, and 3. Exodus chapter 3, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stood in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. And as Moses draws near to the bush, a voice speaks to him from the fire. It says, remove your sandals, Moses, for this is holy ground. And there he meets God, God who introduces himself in a way that he has never introduced himself to anyone in Scripture to this point. Jump down to verse 13. Moses says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them that the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name? What is his name? And God replied to Moses, Yahweh, I am 
who I am. Say to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, as Moses, some translations say, wanders on the far side of the desert, Moses encountered God. The wilderness is a place of encounter because the wilderness is what removes the distractions, it removes, uh, it removes the busyness, and now we can really meet God. See, the wilderness is a place of encounter because uh, the wilderness is where we meet God. And, and, uh, and even I saw a comment go by as we were commenting together that, that uh, I'm seeing Scripture in ways that I haven't. And, and this is what wilderness has been in some dimensions for me, not perfectly, I wake up every morning with a crash of what I have to do, that I have to do some mental labor to set aside. I have to do some mental work and heart work not to overwork as a way to avoid my emotions in the seasons. I'm not doing well at it. I, I, I have had moments of snapping at staff, or be, at staff or being frustrated with Jack when he comes bursting into the room in the middle of a Zoom call. But listen, my, my time with the Lord at the same time has never been so sweet. I mean, the words of Scripture are leaping off the page. Um, times of worship, just playing music before I start working, I, I get a sense of the nearness of God. I have a sense of direction and vision for, for me that I've not had in some time. See, the enemy finds us in our wilderness because he wants to hinder the work of God that is so powerful and can only be done in this wilderness. Um, and, and in this time of wilderness wandering, we have a choice. We have a choice to see our homes as prisons or as greenhouses. We have a choice in this wilderness to see it as a pit to fall into or, or a portal to go through. Shout out to Mary and Shay for that. This is a time of trial and temptation, but it is also a time for encounter. And the reason the enemy really likes to get involved in this is because times of encounter in the wilderness always lead to empowerment. The wilderness is trial and temptation, but it is also encounter and empowerment. Look back at the Gospel of Luke Chapter, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now jump down to verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Spirit's power. See, Jesus enters the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, but he leaves the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus enters full of the Holy Spirit. He leaves full of the Holy Spirit's power. It's, it's a place of trial and temptation, but it is also a place of encounter and empowerment. See, David leaves the wilderness and becomes king, a king after God's own heart, at least for a time. Elijah leaves the wilderness and performs mighty miracles. Israel leaves the wilderness and they conquer the promised land. See, Jesus leaves the wilderness and he preaches a powerful sermon in chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And he goes on to cast out demons. He goes on to heal many people. His word, they say, possesses authority. And it says, with authority and power, he commanded the demons to leave. If you go and read the Gospel of Luke, read Luke chapter 4, and notice that when he leaves full of the power of the Holy Spirit, go back through then in the rest of chapter 4 and circle all the instances of the word power and authority. There's quite a few of them in there. See, the wilderness is a place of empowerment. The title to my message this morning, listen, is this idea of welcome to the wilderness. 
Maybe a better title of it is Don't Waste the Wilderness. God is not surprised by COVID-19. God wastes nothing. And as I look and listen to pastors from all denominations from all over the globe, from uh, Africa to Australia to Europe to Cuba, (laughs) Guillermo sent me a message yesterday. What I'm hearing over and over again is that God wants in this time to do something in his people to prepare them for what comes next. God is shaping us. We are in a cocoon. God is shaping us for the renewal that is to come. And crisis, crisis is almost always the doorway to renewal. And this is the crisis. On the other side of this wilderness, on the other side of this wilderness, there will be two kinds of people and there will be two kinds of churches. On the other side of this wilderness, I I just feel so stirred up in my spirit about this. On the other side of this wilderness, there will be two kinds of Christians and there will be two kinds of churches. See, there will be Christians who wasted their wilderness on Netflix and organizing their their closets, who never mastered the overwhelm and the homeschooling and all of these things, which you can do. You can do hard things. They never mastered this season of isolation, so they wasted it, and they will emerge on the other side of the wilderness Basically the same, if not a little worse for the wear. But then there will be Christians who, with the resources of God given to us by the Holy Spirit, marshal those resources to have self-control and intentionality in this season. And they will leave this wilderness marked by the fruit of the Spirit and empowered in the gifts of the Spirit. They will walk, you are going to see Christians, you're going to meet people in church when we get back together, hear me on this, you will meet people in this room and wherever you go to church that will be fundamentally different than how you knew them before this, before this. And it's not because they lost weight. It's because they will be walking in a maturity and authority and character and competency that came from pursuing in this season a profound encounter with God, wrestling with Satan by the power of Scripture, and I'll get into that in a second, and engaging in the encounter and leaving empowered. Listen, some of you already are having clear prophetic words. Some of you already are having clear words from God about your life, about, for others, about what's going on. You are going to leave this season empowered, and others will be basically the same. The church is going to have, across our nation, a huge split. And it'll be those who wasted the wilderness and those who walked in it. There's going to be two kinds of churches. COVID-19 has the power to shape our culture for years, for decades. One person I listened to, uh, Ed Stetzer, said in a uh, webinar this week that COVID-19 will have the shaping effect on American and Western civilization that World War II had in, in Europe. It's going to reshape our economy. It's going to reshape everything about what it means to be people together. Uh, this is a new 9-11. And on the one hand, we return to normal, but at the same time, I can't go to the airport without taking an extra hour to go through all of the security checks, can I? The world will fundamentally be different. And there will be churches on the other side of this wilderness that breathe a sigh of relief and go back to business as usual. And those churches will be even more irrelevant 
Those churches will have no prophetic witness. Those churches will have no spiritual authority with which to share the gospel with their communities because the world will be fundamentally different. Then there will be churches so full of the power of the Spirit, so full of his presence, so intentional about practicing the way of Jesus together, so rejoicing in authentic community, in gospel witness, that the grieving and recovering will flock, will flock to the proclamation of the gospel to meet this God, to meet this God. Today, right now, Sunday, March 29, 12, 15 p.m., is your moment of decision. Right now is your moment of decision. Is this a season that I will waste? Or is this a season that I will chase the heart of God? And if your decision is to chase the heart of God, would you give me five more minutes? If your decision is to be locked in the overwhelm, I understand that. And we love you. But I want the five more minutes from those of you that are saying yes to this. Because here's what it means. First, it means developing sharp tools with which to bat back the temptations of the enemy. Developing sharp tools. Jesus, at every temptation, quotes scripture back to Satan, quotes scripture back to Satan, and all of those quotes, by the way, come from the book of Deuteronomy. In the midst of your temptation, Paul says we have the sword of the Spirit. In the midst of our temptation, We quote scripture out loud, even if it's an empty room. We root ourselves in this text. And what do you have right now more than you've ever had before is disposable time to be in this book, to be in Bible project videos and so on. We're going to midweek release a reading plan that will take us through Easter so that we're all reading the same scriptures, all engaged and rooted in that together on Easter Sunday. I'm going to start preaching through 1 Peter. We're going to have a reading plan that goes along with that. So we're all rooted in scripture because these... Uh, scripture is the precious device that we have against the enemy. Uh, first, we have to develop an arsenal, an arsenal with which to bat back trial and temptation. And then, to press in further, we develop a rule of life, a rule of life. And a rule of life is what the monastics developed in the desert. It, it, we would call it a predictable pattern. We would call it a predictable pattern of being with Jesus and being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did, up in and out. Up with the Father, in with each other, out. This week, we're going to share with you uh, what our predictable pattern looks like in the podcast that we'll release this week. We're going to send emails about it, but let me tell you a little bit about my predictable pattern. It's an imperfect predictable pattern, an IPP, not a PP. And uh, let's just laugh for a second. We should have this thing on the live stream where it brings up like applause or like laugh. Let's have that. We'll have that for next time. Working on it. Um, here's my predictable pattern. Up with the Father. I, I want to begin my day in worship and prayer. I'm about four for seven on that. I want to practice gratitude when the anxiety hits me. Um, I want to be praying with others so I'm intentionally pursuing to be in the virtual prayer room every single day. My in-rhythms are making sure that I'm so present at family dinner because I'm locked in a nonstop marathon of soul-crushing Zoom meetings all day. I want to be face-to-face and get screens out of my face at dinner time, and I want to ask questions like, what are we grateful for? What do we need? Who do we want to bless? Every day we're trying to go out on a walk. Um, Every day we're reaching out to friends uh, via FaceTime and Google Duo. 
We're also praying intentionally for our people of peace. This is out. I'm praying intentionally for them. I'm praying intentionally for our brothers and sisters in Cuba. I want to be attentive to what meets needs. See, what we want to develop in this season is a predictable pattern, a rule of life that guides and gives like guardrails to this time so that we emerge on the other side of it, not only full of the Spirit, but also full of the power of the Spirit, not having just uh, really enjoyed watching Tiger King, which if you haven't watched, you should, um, but also, but also um, having deeply and profoundly encountered God. Uh, so here's what I, I want to invite you to do this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, Joey and Julie are going to come, and I'm going to invite you to respond, um, and maybe even to have a conversation at home, uh, or to text someone, or even to throw out your response in the comments, right? Um, are you ready to press in? Are you ready for this wilderness wandering to be a time of encounter or empowerment? Uh, or are you going to waste it? Why don't you have some time with the Lord about that after I pray and then we'll sing and close together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends that are listening here. And as I offer a little bit of a, a word of challenge, I pray, Father, that you would stir in them by the Holy Spirit what you're calling them to do in this time. God, far be it from us to have wasted this season. And instead, may it be said of us, may it be said of Grace United Methodist Church, may it be said of Regeneration, may it be said of Otterbein United Methodist Church, may it be said of us and our families that we pressed in, that we did not waste this, and that we encountered you in deep ways. Come and move even in these living rooms, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this sermon about the wilderness and its trials and temptations, but also its opportunity for encounter and empowerment. If you regularly attend a local church, I hope and pray that what we share with you is supplemental and over and above the diet that your pastor is feeding you. If you are a member of Regen, if you're a regular attender, if this is your spiritual family, I just want to continue to encourage you to support the work of Regen uh, through giving, through praying, as we press into this season together. And if you're not a regular attender, to consider giving over and above your tithe to your local church to what we're doing here in Northeast Ohio as we call all people into this movement of discipleship and mission together. Grace and peace. Talk to you soon.